Hello there, good day, good morning everyone, and cheerio to you. You've tuned in to Left After Breakfast here on 3CR. Susanna here with you this morning, and I'll be joined a little later on by some more of my team. If we can dig them up, times are hard, listener. But we will definitely be hearing from the oh-so-elusive bagman. So stay tuned. It's only three weeks until election time, listener. So I hope you're all ready for that, all fired up and ready to go and make your mark at the ballot box. And I hope that your friends are also all fired up and ready to make their mark. I want to first tell you that there is no truth in the rumour that the Prime Minister, Scott, will be moved on to the cashless debit card, possibly as early as next week, in an attempt to stop spending on unessential items like unbuilt car parks and imaginary submarines. I mean, this card is a spending management tool for welfare recipients with advocates claiming it's an important way to restrict the wastage of taxpayer money. So they now want to expand the scheme to include other people who are dependent on taxpayer funds. A spokesperson for the scheme said, If you're receiving money from the taxpayer, then it's only fair that there are some limitations in place. This is not about trying to stop people from buying food or putting a roof over their head. It's about saying, do you really need to spend $185 million to reopen Christmas Island for a week for a quick media stunt? The spokesperson for the cashless debit card went on to say that expansion of the program is well overdue. No one has pissed more taxpayer money up the wall than Scott. We usually like to blame welfare recipients for debt, of course, But when you look at the fact that Scott goes over budget on everything because he stuffs it up the first time, I mean, seriously, it's well over time that someone who actually needs help managing their money be put on this card. And Scott, of course, really needs help managing taxpayer money. Current Treasurer Frydenberg had the final say on this matter when he said, Honestly, last week I walked in on the PM when he was in conversation with a Nigerian prince to solve our government's debt problem. Putting him on the cashless debit card is the best if we want to continue telling everyone that we're a fiscally responsible party. Uh, Good morning, you're listening to 3CR, the only radio left. So don't forget, listener, three weeks until we go to the ballot box. And just remember, the parties are probably the same as each other. I mean, Labor gave us, what, Medicare, superannuation, long service leave, sick leave, annual leave, reform the family law court, um, oh, etc., etc., etc. While the coalition gave us some... Uh, They gave us uh, a restricted gun ownership, yes. And uh, they made Jerry Harvey a lot richer. Pretty well a tie, wouldn't you think? And I'll start off with a song again today. 
and this one because it is Anzac Week. Here's a song I'm sure you'll recognise. Now when I was a young man I carried me pack And I lived the free life on the from the Murray's Green Basin to the dusty outback, oh, I waltz my Matilda all over. Then in 1915, my country said, Son, it's time you stop rambling, there's work to be done. So they gave me a tin hat. And they gave me a gun And they marched me away to the war And the band played waltzing Matilda As the ship pulled away from the quay And amidst all the cheers The flag waving and tears we sailed off for Gallipoli How well I remember that terrible day How our blood stained the sand and the water And of how in that hell that they called Sulabay We were butchered like lambs at the slaughter Johnny Turk, he was waiting He primed himself well He showered us with bullets And he rained us with shell And in five minutes flat He'd blown us all to hell Nearly blew us right back to Australia But the band played waltzing Matilda When we stopped to bury our slain We buried ours And the Turks buried theirs And we started all over again that were left we tried to survive in that mad world of blood death and fire and for ten weary weeks I kept myself alive though around me the corpses piled higher then a big Turkish shell And when I woke up in me hospital bed And saw what it had done Oh, I wished I was dead Never knew there was worse things than dying For I'll go no more waltzing Matilda All around the green Bush far and free 
To home tent and pegs A man needs both legs No more waltzing Matilda for me So they gathered the crippled The wounded, the maimed And they shipped us back home to Australia The armless, the legless, the blind, the insane Those proud, wounded heroes of Suvla And as our ship sang into circular key I looked at the place where me legs used to be And thank Christ there was nobody waiting for me To grieve, to mourn or to pity But the band played waltzing Matilda As they carried us down the gangway But nobody cheered They just stood and stared Then they turned their faces away And so now, every April I sit on me porch And I watch The parade passed before me I see my old comrades How proudly they march Reviving all dreams of past glories The old men march slowly Old bones stiff and sore The tired old heroes From a forgotten war And the young people ask What are they marching for? And I ask myself The same question But the band plays waltzing Matilda The old men still answer But as year follows year More old men disappear Someday no one will march there at all Waltzing Matilda Waltzing Matilda You'll come waltzing Matilda And their ghosts may be heard As they march by that billabong You'll come a-waltzing Matilda With me You're listening to 3CR 855 AM On digital and on the internet www.3cr.org.au well, hello again, Glenn. How are you? How are you, my dear? I'm terrific. I love this time of year. I love every time you were alive. It's a good time to be alive. 
Yes, anything's better than six foot under. It is. Now, you like military works, don't you? You're a good reader of um, fiction and fact, don't you? Oh, I read anything. I grew up reading the backs of the Wheaties packet. Can I tell you that I've just reread? I haven't read it since I was a teenager. The Last of the Mohicans. I read that when I was at primary school about 1970, I think. Well, atrocious, but quite an adventure story, very stirring. Oh, they were. They were written for the, a certain audience, the, the white colonizer was the audience. Yes, yeah. Because in those days, Britannia ruled the waves, whether they went to India or the Americas or Australia. And, and on the weekend, I read A Princess of Mars, which yeah. is the first book of John Carter of Mars, The Hurtling Moons of Barsoom. I first read that when I was nine, and because my older brother had it. Well, I always read his books, his sense. Biggles and his John Carter. Oh, Biggles. We read Biggles when we were kids in the 60s and 70s. You, want, you wouldn't want to give it to a kid now. Oh, they'd be horrified. Oh, absolutely revolting racist crap. <laughs> I'd be revolted. Biggles and Archie, I mean, that was sort of... Um, they were, they were, well, they were more British than the British. They were British, weren't they? they, they the Honourable Algernon. They fought all the, all the un-British types of the world. They beat them every time. But, of course, they did have the German fellow who was their sort of arch-enemy. Oh, yes. Wasn't a Nazi. He was pre-Nazi. He, he was, was von Stalin or something, and he had a monocle. Well, he was and it was a, Junker. a Junker. He was a Junker. The Junkers were Prussians. Yeah, so he was better than... He wasn't your average German. It's like, I'm sorry, we're going off the topic here, but yeah. we're not really we're talking about books. Yeah. Do you remember a book called They're a Weird Mob? Uh, Nino Colotti. Yes, it was supposed to be written by a fellow named Joe Nino... Joe Grady, wasn't it? I think so, but Nino Colotto was the name he My used. My parents had the book. Yes, so did mine, and, and I read that. I thought it was very funny. A couple of years back, I picked it up again, and truly, I dropped it so fast. Oh, it's very dated. But it, it is dreadful. It, it was the mindset, fam. Again, that was the mindset. It's, it's crap, but hey... It's what it was in. But even the Italian in it, the fellow in it who's talking about Australians saying they're a weird mob, even he, like, he's not really Italian. You know, the main character, he's from the north. Mm. He's over six foot and he's blonde. It's supposed to be a book about, you know, sort of like the contemporary Italians and the migration to Australia. Well, there weren't many six and a half inch blonde fellows from the north wandering around on the building sites near me. Most came from the south. Yes, of course, because they were the people, they were refugees. Mm. They had to get out after all the war damage and dreadful. The north had industry. It always had industry. The south was less developed than the Mussolini. So the north was back. You could rebuild the north. There's something to rebuild. The south had nothing rebuilt. Yes, and they still suffer that. You know, speaking of Australian writers, you know Alan Dimfnikusak? Dimfnikusak. Alan Dimfnikusak. Better known as Nell Cusack. Well, Dimpfner is her middle name. Alan Dimpfner Cusack. Right, okay. She, her pen name is Nell Cusack. All right. You aware of her writings? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Look, she was a, a big writer for a long time in Australia. She's a, she wrote a lot in the war years. And um, she was born in West Wyalong in New South Wales. She was schooled in Sydney. She travelled. She moved around the countryside, living in a place like Miranda and Kuma. And uh, she became a teacher, and she became active in the late 20s as a, as a writer. She, she started writing novels such as um, Shallow Cups, The Metal Danger, went to Bragan Hill to work in Bragan Hill, and she went to Sydney. She won more prizes. She wrote a book called Jungfrau in 1936 about abortion, and it was run up for the Book of the Year in 1936. That's set it going. 
she wrote for the Australian Federation of Writers, and uh, she wrote further books such as uh, Comets Soon Pass, which is a book to um, it was a payback on Gordon Edgell. You know Gordon Edgell. Remind me, Gordon Edgell's vegetables. Oh he, yes, the, the cans. Yeah, he uh, he didn't like her. He clashed with her because she did a work of unemployed. He's like, no, no, they're, they're riffraff. Don't help them. He publicly criticised her for some poorly unemployed. So in her book, um, she bagged him, and, but her health gave away, and she became unable to work anymore. So she spent time in the Blue Mountains. She wrote kids' books such as Four Winds in a Family, Coming Spinner. Now that's where I first saw her book on my parents' book bookshelf, Coming Spinner. And I picked it up and I was reading it and my mother walked along, I remember it so clearly, and she whipped it out of my hand and said, no, you're not to read that. Well, of course, I couldn't wait till like a no. couple of nights later I was crawling along the floor on, on my <laughs> elbow, sneaking up to get that book to read it. And I read it, but I still don't. And I didn't know why she didn't want me to read it for a long time. Many, many years later, long after she was dead, I thought, oh, that's why she didn't want me to read it. Well, it was about the rich in Sydney in World War II and the profiteering, the money-making in Sydney. And Cummins Spinner was a bestseller. She trod on toes. She her, trod on toes. Yeah. Her politics were concerning. She was a left wing. And uh, she hooked up a bloke called um, Norman Randolph Freehill, who was a CPA editor of Tribune. And 1948, she went overseas. And she wrote more books in Europe. Say No to Death, Southern Steel, and the book I know best, Caddy. Caddy, oh, of course. <laughs> there was a film made from Caddy, wasn't there? Helen Morse played Caddy. Mm. So for a long time, Cusack was overseas in Europe and stuff. Southern Steel. Mm. Mm. That was about the uh, Newcastle workers, steel workers. And she spent time in Europe. She wrote about the American nuclear test in the Pacific. She spent time in Beijing. She spent time seeing the revival. She saw some Nazis in England, a Nazi reunion, saying, hang on, let <laughs> the rover, and they've come back. She read a book called Heatwave in Berlin. She spent time in Soviet Union and in Czechoslovakia. Her work was publicised in, in the Eastern Bloc. She made money in the Eastern Bloc. And again, she wasn't as chastised as, what's his name, Wilfred Burchett. But again, she, and she finally came back to Australia in the late 60s. She wrote a book called Half Burnt Tree about the Vietnam War. She wrote a book called A Barren Hell, but this is about alcoholism. About? Her sister's battle of alcoholism. A barren tree. Yeah, a barren tree, yeah. A barren tree about... But it's the, her drinking. Caddy became a film in 1976 when I saw it. She spent time travelling. She kept travelling. I've got a part in Caddy. And in 1978, age 76, they found out she had MS. After 76 years of his illness, they finally diagnosed MS. And by 1980, she was completely paralysed. And she got an order for strain medal, and she passed by 1981. He was saying, we've forgotten about writers like her. We've forgotten about Jean Devaney. And yeah. we've forgotten about... Miles Robinson. Miles Robinson. Mm. And... Catherine Susanna Pritchard. Catherine Susanna Pritchard. Right. I'm going to have to really start digging up these authors. I wonder if they're even still in print. But a lot of things you can now get, if they're out of print, you can get them free on Gutenberg. I know Jean Devaney's works were redone back in the 90s. I mean, Gina Valley's most famous book is Sugar Heaven, but the Cane Fields in Queensland. And I mean, Nell Cusack, I mean, there's a fair bit of stuff on issues on alcoholism in the family, on steelworks, on the rise of Nazism again, on the gains of the working people, and of course, the classic Caddy. Mm. And Cummings, Spin and Caddy are her two best known works. And 
Yeah, so I think, hmm, Noel Cusack, let's talk about her again. Let's let's put it back as somewhere we can recommend and respect as a greatest run writer. So that's my two bobs worth on your show, Noel Cusack. And before I go, I will say, Chocula. Chocula. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, Melbourne's voice of dissent. 3CR Community Radio, 855 on the AM dial, streaming live at 3cr.org.au or on 3CR Digital in Melbourne. Now here's another song you may also recognise. In fact, I'm sure you will. There's this other song that I wrote back in the 60s, right? And uh, like I said, there are some songs that you wish uh, didn't keep on making sense. Uh, Here's one that got me an awful lot of trouble in the U.S. (laughs) It's about individual responsibility for the world we live in. It's called Universal Soldier. He's five foot two and he's six feet four. He fights with missiles and with spears. He's all 31 and he's only 17. He's been a soldier for a thousand years. He's a Catholic, a Hindu, an atheist, a Jain, a Buddhist and a Baptist and a Jew. And he knows he shouldn't kill And he knows he always will kill you For me, my friend, and me for you And he's fighting for Canada He's fighting for France He's fighting for the USA And he's fighting for the Russians And he's fighting for Japan and he thinks we'll put an end to war this way. And he's fighting for democracy and fighting for the Reds. He says it's for the peace of all. He's the one who must decide who's to live and who's to die. And he never sees the writing on the walls. But without him, Hitler have condemned him at Dachau. Without him, Caesar would have stood alone. He's the one who gives his body as a weapon to a war. And without him, all this killing can't go on. He's the universal soldier, and he really is to blame. But his orders come from far away no more They come from him and you and me And brothers, can't you see This is not the way we put an end to war And still sticking with the spirit of Anzac Week Let's hear from Natasha The Anzacs Highway Holiday 1. Lawn At Erskine Beach, warning of strong currents, slippery and submerged rocks, I watch families, people from across the world, cluster 
on blankets, Bob on the surf, build castles in the sand. Do they remember the day of the Anzacs, so far away on another beach in another cove? Or other days from other wars cast across oceans? The ocean laps and curls, booms and calls, roars and squeals her song as the tide draws her random etchings into the reef of rocks, sculpted in blocks and lace, pockmarked like the moon's face. Flags, eye-patched by the Union Jack, fly half-mast along the great road, overlooking the great ocean, carved out of the landscape by those who returned from the Great War, the war to end all wars. The journey curved like sickles round the belly of the mountains, where the bush meets the sea, where the rivers snake and splurge in ice blue to turquoise, stretching back to the arc where rain clouds meet a beam of sun. The hills roll out as if to honour those who split the rocks like dragon claws, clipped in crags, clinging on for dear life, lest they be swept up in white-nosed waves, in growling tides, greedy for land, bulldozed to the shore. In going down, the sun darkens the weary sky. A sudden blast of silver lines the western front of clouds. A red tinge begins to blot out the beach ball day. 2. History the biggest war memorial in the world, the Anzacs Highway, now cast in bronze plaques along the tourist track, was the labour of 13 years by 3,000 soldiers and sailors who laid the foundations of peace in a stone and mortar monument to those fallen on the fields. I look at men looking back at me from nearly 80 years gone past, in black and white, leaning on picks and shovels, in hats, shirts, vests, jackets, boots, tiered along the eastern view, ready to break the back of the mountain, girding a link along the shipwrecked coast in brawn and sweat, sheer sweat and muscle. 3. Tourist Trail At Wire River, rubber-necked and sharp Thin shadows line the surf line. Paddling out before the winter chill for thrills snatched from the seaside. Looking out from Mount Defiance, thinking on the hard labour of those who cleared the way in the face of perpendicular cliffs, now sealed in black and white barriers, slow turnouts, signposted reflections past mileposts now yellow kilometres per hour, and hairpins round each bend. Rocks greet the sea, lapping, belting, cracking, belching, crashing upon the land, as though the whole earth was tipped up. 3CR So what's going to happen on May the 21st, listener? after we've all gone down and made our mark at the ballot box. And let's hope, well, I hope, 
to see the end of this particular government. Hopeless and incompetent and vicious that it is. I'm sure that the LNP government will lose its majority. I mean, it needs a swing to it to maintain its current majority of one. Well, this almost certainly won't happen. The other vote will get its highest ever vote. And by other, I mean everything that's not LNP and ALP. I mean the Independents, the Greens, the ONP. The Greens' vote will remain the same or be a little lower. With so many micro-parties and rise of the Independents, the Greens holding their vote of around 9-10% to would be a big result for them. The days when they picked up a swag of protest votes are well and truly over, and the Independents will be the big winners from this one. No additional other candidates are likely to win a seat, but I'd hedge my bet by suggesting a maximum of one additional other could fluke a preference run to get them home. Kuyong, I'm looking at you, but I'm not holding my breath. Despite all the hype about the so-called teal indies, unseating an incumbent when you're starting from 0%, it's bloody expensive and bloody near impossible. They need the best part of a million dollars and an army of 300-plus volunteers each just to be in the contest. We can expect them to bring in primary votes in the 10-15% to 15% range, but unfortunately our single-member electoral system doesn't reward super efforts. Unless you have 50% plus one of the votes by end of the counting, well then you go home empty-handed. And in this case, that's most likely to be all of them. While it's unlikely any of the Teal Independents will be successful in getting a seat, they're very likely to be kingmakers in a swag of seats across the country. And that's important to remember. And who will win government? Well, look, honestly, I have no bloody idea. And that's my tips for the election. Go out there and make your vote count, listener. Make it count. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. Next week... I'm going to replay the BL from the bush. The broadcast in which he lists just some of the dreadful, oh, vile things that this present government has done. Just to remind you all again before you get near your ballot box. But in the meantime, we'll be crossing over to the bagman, the oh-so-elusive bagman. Good morning, Bagman. How are you? Good morning, Susan. I'm as fit as a fiddle. I'm as unbiased as a Collingwood cheer squad, and I'm bitter, cynical and twisted, and you know why. Well, you're in fine form, aren't you? Oh, thank you very much. I'm trying to read uh, between the lines today. People have got to stop telling lies. 
simple fact is business owners aren't having a problem finding people to work for them. They're having trouble finding people to work for low <coughs> wages. Now, oh. there is a difference. There is a difference. Now, you remember two or three years ago when the hotel, restaurant and catering industry was being run by a cabal of crooks. We all know about the famous chefs who were robbing their workers, wage theft it was called. And what did we do during COVID? We threw money at them, as much money as they ever wanted. And you can't please restaurant owners, hotel owners and catering companies that the wages of their workers ought to be raised. And when we look at it, there's been a wage freeze in this country for the last 10 years. Now, it's about time the ACTU, the union body that represents workers, to get off their fat asses and start doing something for the union movement. For the union members? Well, for the union members who are the union movement. That's the point. I tell you what, I did make an awful anus prediction last week. I said that the head of the Guide Dogs of Victoria, who put out an advertisement for Josh Frydenberg, I said that she was probably barking up the wrong tree, and even Blind Freddy could see that. I said she was until last Friday, but she lasted a bit longer than that, and she's, she's lasted until Wednesday, and Karen Hayes, for endorsing Josh Frydenberg, has now been stood down. I did note that Frydenberg, the current treasurer, he took 2750000 that's two and three quarter million, from the Regional Development Funding Pool. And he gave it to, guess whom? Guy the Guy Dog. Dog? Yes. In his, oh own, my in, God. in his own lovely leafy suburban electorate. Now, I thought myself personally, this is my personal opinion, Yes. I thought I thought that I had wart written all over it, but you know that's only my opinion. <laughs> Guide Dogs Victoria also also received three and a half million in JobKeeper, and what did they do when they got three and a half million in JobKeeper? They put their executive pays up by fifteen percent. Ah well, what else would you do, Susan? The Guide Dogs Victoria, if the government gives them millions and millions of dollars, of course they're going to increase executive salaries. They're not going to be paying the dog handlers any extra money. That or, just goes without saying. Or employing any more dog handlers, which is what job keeper stuff was about. It's also interesting, actually, Bagman, that on the Guide Dogs Victoria website, mm-hmm. it directs you that if anyone wants to report a breach of code of conduct to the chair of the board, you directed to the law firm, Landers and Rogers. Well, guess what? Guess what? Who's a partner at Landers and Rogers? Well, Amy Frydenberg, the wife of the current treasurer. Oh, my God. You talk about a gatekeeper. That stops you from getting anywhere with making a a legitimate complaint. Um, The law firm would stop you. We were better than that bag, man. Remember when the complaints committee at 3CR was you and I? (laughs) Oh, my God.
That's right. Well, anybody who wants to make a complaint about this program can ring 94198377 at any time and rest assured you and me are not on the complaints committee anymore. Hey, uh, a lovely story this week, Susan. A woman in Japan, she was 119 and the ABC reported that she died. Wait for it. She died of guess what? What? She was 119. What did she die from? The grog? No. Well, she didn't die uh, going over the 100 metres hurdles. She died from old age. Did she now? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, 119. If only, well, we don't want to go there, Susan. We don't want to go anywhere near 119. Now, well, well hang on, just a minute. Well, you do. Just a minute. I, I, I wouldn't mind. I just want to see what they're up to when I'm 119. Thank you very oh, much. Not yeah. so far away from me. I'm older than you. Yeah, I know you are. But they would, in this government, would be up to all sorts of rorts. Robbing people if you live to 119. And I see that Scott Morrison, our esteemed Prime Minister, and we must give him the correct title, he deserves all the credit he can get. We've seen him shampooing hair, welding, pouring beers, sewing, and I think I seen yesterday he was making biscuits. Curried biscuits. Curried biscuits. Anyway, I look forward to seeing him feeding dementia patients in aged care. Listen, Bergman, I happened to see some really funny photos earlier this week, three photographs taken one after one another, and it was in some sort of manufacturing workplace. And it showed you um, a chap in a high this shirt doing something workmanlike. And yep. there was a big sign up in front of him and it said, if you mess up, fess up. And then we saw the next shot that someone was putting, hanging a high-vis vest over that sign, just sort of, he saw it as it was being placed on it, you know, half hanging over it. Then the third and final shot was, guess whom? It was Scott standing mm. in, in front of that, but at the back of it, you know, talking about whatever and pretending to be holding a tool. A tool with a tool. Someone must have said to him, hey, 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 we'd better hey, cover up what? that sign. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise you. What do politicians and nappies have in common? Oh, Bagman, please. It's a little early in the morning. No, well. Don't be vulgar. <laughs> politicians and nappies must be changed often and for the same reason all right then (laughs) better than i thought now some good news we spoke last week about the cashless credit card because it is doing some good believe it or not being out there because the prime minister will be moved on to the indu cashless credit card system as early as next week. Bagman, that's only a rumour. It's only a rumour. Now, it may only be a rumour, but it's a rumour that I would like to spread. Well, you just did. I did. 
You know, I've got I've, I've got a tip for them. I was looking at the economy earlier on this week and wondering why we're so broke. If you raise the rate of the dole, job seeker, whatever it's called nowadays, I believe it's called job seeker. What a what a name! If you raise that rate by seventy dollars per week, which is not much, now it costs a lot less than those submarines that we didn't buy. Mm. A lot less than opening up Christmas Island for a week. Yep. But if you raise the rate of job seeker, that would be one of the most efficient boosts the economy could ever have. And you know who said that? The Reserve Bank. Really. You remember back to about 2007, there was a, a failure of the bank stock market crash. Kevin Rudd actually gave everybody in Australia $500 to spend to get them out of the shit they were in. So there's a basis to your argument there, sir. Well, of course it is, because particularly if you're talking about low-income people, if you're talking about poor people, you give poor people money, and you know what they do with it? They spend it. Yes, and I've got to ask you a question, Susan, because Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister of this country, who we give due reference to, and uh, Josh Frydenberg, said about six weeks ago, we are going to pay every pensioner, every person on payments, $250 in order to offset the rising cost of living, petrol, groceries, meat and whatever. Well, I don't know, but I am cynical that I mightn't get it until the week before the election. It would just make us feel so much indebted to Scott and Josh that they've given us this $250 a couple of days before we go off to vote. Mm. Swooning with gratitude. Oh, well. <laughs> Let's vote for these boys. Look, they've just given me $250. Oh, That's aren't right. they good? Aren't they good? But we really must ask, Susan, this $250, which was promised to offset the cost of living, when will it be paid? Will it be paid the week before the election, or will it be paid only, only if the coalition party wins the election? Oh, don't say that, Bagman. I'm well, pretty well almost spent the money. I did say I was cynical, bitter and twisted only because I've been lied to so often. Now, did you read The Age on the weekend? No. Oh, look. There was a full spread article on a bike called Justin Heems. Justin Heems is about to move into Victoria. He's buying up pubs at a, a rate of knots. Now, Justin has got a class action against him for $129 million. Oh. Because he's been ripping off his workers. He's been engaged in wage theft for a long time now. But there was this glowing reference to Justin from the Maryvale group of companies. He ripped off his workers $129 million. Now, that's exactly what we need in this state is another wage thief. So another bloody crook. And then I suppose he'll say, oh, I can't get any good workers. I'll have to import them from Fiji or the Philippines. Or we could always do what we did before, send a couple of boats out. 
up around the islanders and pick up some people do a bit of blackbirding that's right well it's pretty much the same these days anyway the people that, that they bring in from from the islands and whatever are working on slave wages anyway because of labor contractors who are ripping them off and farmers in collusion with those labor contractors so that these people even though they're imported into our country and good luck to them, they deserve to earn a decent wage. They deserve to work in healthy and safe conditions and not be ripped off. But it seems we're going back to the old blackbirding days when a boss of a company can rip off workers for $129 million. It's a rich man's country yet. As early as the 1860s, there were anti-slavery campaigners who were invoking charges of chattel bondage to describe the blackbirders. And there was a map in 1891. Remember 1891? That's right. The price of wool was falling in 1891 and a slave map of modern Australia was printed up and it documented all these areas of Indigenous and Pacific Island slave labour mainly kidnapped people. But, of course, we leave aside the, the idea of blackbirding because people don't think it happens anymore. They think it's only in books. Well, Susan, it's happening in Australia at the moment where people are working for slave wages, working in shocking conditions and being exploited on a daily basis. If people think that slavery is dead and buried, would only have to look at the chapters of Fair Work Australia when they get a conviction against unfair or no, wage fees that you will see just the conditions some Australian workers are working under. You know, uh, sex workers, for instance, are imported into this country on false ground. They have to work well, I was going to say work their butt off, but that doesn't sound right, does it? No pun intention. And then they have to service so many clients and then they have to pay for their own airfares back to the country where they were exploited from. Yeah, that's just, oh, it just makes you feel so ill. Well, it does, uh, Susan, and it's not a very good story to be told. Hey, I tell you what. You live in the city of Yarra, don't you? Yes, I'm a Yarra these days. I'm a real You're Yarra. You're a Yarra. You live in the Paris end of Grifton Hill. Well, apparently there's a lot of graffiti going on in your area. But according to the city of Yarra, and not according to Stephen Jolly, who was a good councillor, the council is leaving residents and business owners to clean tagging off buildings themselves. Apparently... What they give to business owners and people who own houses, they give them a kit so that they can scrub the graffiti off their building or their business. What's in the graffiti cleanup? Do you know? Oh, I think there's a scrubbing brush, a can of methylated spirits, so that you can get to work to clean up the graffiti. And if you do, it'll be back on the next day. No, but how do you know that there's a scrubbing brush and a can of metho in there? Because I've seen it. You've seen them? I've seen well, them from my own eyes. Oh, because... My the, own eyes do not lie. 
because the mayor of Collingwood was on the ABC the other morning yeah. talking talking about this wonderful new initiative of the, you know, how to people get their own little tag clean-up kits. And when she was asked what was in it, she didn't know what was in it. <laughs> well, she will know now if she listens to your program on Friday morning at 9 o'clock, she will know there's a can of methylated spirits and a scrubbing brush. That's a bit dicey, isn't it, the metho? <laughs> well, I mean, it, it reminds me of, you know, old days when the uh, police, local police used to lock people up because they were vagrants or whatever, not because they were D&D, but because they were homeless. And they'd lock them up. Then they'd give them a scrubbing brush and a can of metho and tell them to clean out the cells, knowing what they were doing with it. I do pick up your point there, Susan, because I even as a young man back in uh, North Melbourne where I was born, not before I went to Broadmeadows and I uh, improved myself, they used to have a drink called White Lady where they used to mix milk and methylated spirit together and drink it. Now, not for me. Not for me, but uh, now they've got a thing called an epicat so that you can't do that anymore. But, I mean, I just think giving householders willy-nilly cans of metho might be asking for a bit <laughs> of trouble. Well, that may be true. That may be true, Susan. Look, we go back to Anzac Day, and we don't glorify war. Maybe the best way to honour the fallen would be to find more ways not to send others to join them. That's yes. the best way I would like to celebrate Anzac Day. Commiserate would be one one way of doing it. Um, but we used to see Prime Ministers of this country having soldiers come back dead, be presenting themselves at the airport to say, oh, our soldiers uh, have sacrificed their lives for our democracy that they kept sending them anyway. Yeah. Hey, at that point, he tragically fell from the roof of the 18-4 nightclub. Poise have now said that he was not a bouncer. Oh, bag man. Think about that. Stop it. <laughs> You're certainly feeling better than you have been the last few weeks. Oh, uh, look, I tell you what, Susan, I nearly died a couple of weeks ago, but I'm not going to nearly die Ever again, I promise you. No, because I want to be, you know, laughing at you when I'm 119, thank you. <laughs> right. And you're going over the hurdles. No, um, I won't be going anyway. over the hurdles. I'll just be strolling, strolling, yes. sedately, with elegance. All right. Now, I'm not too sure of the time, Susan, because I cannot see the Coburg clock. But I know that you, with stretching your neck around, will be able to see the Collingwood clock and you'll be able to tell me whether it's time to go or not. Well, actually, I'm having trouble looking at it, Bagman. It's got a tag written across the face. Oh. I'll, I'll have to ring up the, the oh. council and say, send me some metho to clean it. Yes, send me some metho and a scrubbing brush. Anyway, oh, forget so... the scrubbing brush. <laughs> on, on that basis, see, let's go out in the same old way. Oh, why not? Dare to struggle. Dare to win. If you don't fight, you lose. Good morning from Left After Breakfast.
Once again, listener, thanks for joining me on this radio program. Thanks for the ride. Don't forget, don't forget, election coming soon. I really can't push hard enough and to warn you again about the cashless debit card. This is not a false alarm. This is for real. Believe me, you do not want it. Oh, that's enough. I can get so depressed worrying about the election. I'm just going to have to put it aside out of my mind for as long as I can, which is sometimes 15 minutes at a time. And I'd like to remind you, listener, of the other thing that I do apart from rabbiting on the radio. As I'm a streamer, I stream experiences to you. So you should tune in to my stream and it's on com slash Susanna. I've spelt it for you before, but I'll spell it again. Hago, H-E-Y-G-O, com slash Susanna. That's S-U-S-A-N-N-A. And you can come and join me on some of the wonderful experiences that I bring on my stream. I love modern technology it's just wonderful the fact that I can go out there and just be somewhere looking at some artwork down on the docklands and you can be with me it's the same as on radio I always say it's radio with pictures so you should join me on radio with pictures com slash Susanna and that's all for now I'll see you Same time, same place next week. So, cheerio.